0: Grace to you and peace from God, our wonderful Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. So you will have noticed, I think, that we have before us today a really jangled up text full of powerful images, most of them kind of PG-13, I should think. Some of them downright nasty, yes, did you notice that? It comes to us courtesy of the ancient and respectable lectionary. We don't choose passages like this, I certainly didn't. Liturgical churches all around the world from Lutheran to Catholic to Anglican and many points in between are reading just these texts on just this Sunday all around the world. The ancient and respectable lectionary, I have often thought and thought again this week, is rather like life in that way, don't you think? It serves you up passages, seasons that you didn't choose and that are really, you know, you didn't come at the right time. I've never liked passages like this, whether in scripture or in life. Passages like these, said the prophet Amos, meet us like a bear crashing out of the woods under our path. They meet us like a lion leaping out of the shadows into our consciousness somehow, Uh, but you see what you think. We are sent into the world, Jesus says, as sheep among wolves. It should capture our attention immediately. This is a condition that goes okay for most wolves, but is not known to go well for sheep. And then Jesus gives us a colorful description of the encounter. There will be betrayals and floggings, verse 17. There will be public accusations, verse 18 persecutions and confessions, denials, trials, snares, every kind of nastiness. And even worse, Jesus predicts estrangement between the people that we should much prefer to love, children and parents and brothers and sisters, I tell you. And then our cheery text advises we might expect this for as long as we live. Verse 23, How strange said the great Chrysostom, that men who had never been beyond the lake in which they lived did not straight away depart from him on hearing these things and run in the opposite direction. The church fathers had a real way with words. I've traveled around the world here and there and preached sometimes too from La Paz to Ulaanbaatar and lots of places in between. And in all my days, I have never learned to like passages like the one that we had before us today. I prefer simpler passages, whether in life or in scripture, with clearer themes and friendlier images that are also easier to outline. We can take some consolation from the fact that our passion seems directed to first century disciples back in the days of gladiators, yes, and throwing Christians to the lions and so on. Uh, these were the days of outright persecutions. St. Matthew himself was martyred in Ethiopia, as the tradition tells us. St. Thomas in India, St. Peter in Rome, almost the entire company of the first, first century apostles met a similar kind of end. I mean like mainly in past tense, yes? But this doesn't make the, uh, the passage much easier, actually. For one thing, outright persecutions are not at all unheard of today and still common in some parts of the world, many corners of the world. I've, I've seen these places. I've seen this persecution firsthand. It is estimated that there have, been, there have been more martyrs in the last 100 years than in all the previous centuries of church history combined. I mean, like, you should take a deep breath and let that sink in for a moment. And then, too, there's the challenge of attempting to live a somewhat decent life in an often contrary and sometimes combative, highly complex world like we have in Minneapolis, let's say. You may not be dragged before magistrates for public flogging, as pictured in our passage, but you are, I should think, attempting to be kind and faithful. You are attempting to be loving and just in a world that doesn't consistently affirm these things, now you try consumption, on the other hand, or self-aggrandizement, or personal ambition, on the other hand, or tribalized politics, or self-promotion. Things like these are celebrated, and affirmed. But put on, on the other, put on selflessness instead, and humble service, and justice, intertribal politics, kindness, and respect. Things like these are often are sometimes like shamed outright. A selfless, humble, God-oriented life can make you feel like the prophet Jeremiah in our Old Testament text for today. I've become a laughingstock, said the prophet. Everyone mocks me. Life itself, I'm getting to be kind of an old guy, and uh, I have uh, discovered through these years that life itself can sometimes feel tested and tenuous in ways that we hadn't expected as it must have done for the apostles, I'm sure, away way back then. It's more fragile than we might have liked. It gets wobbly around the edges, mine does, and it's over too soon. I wanna share with you this morning a way to digest passages like that. Whether they come to us in the scripture, through the lectionary, or whether you stumble upon one uh, in your own reading of scripture, or maybe life itself, serves you up a stinky passage. I'd like to share with you a strategy for for dealing with passages like the one we had before us today. I'd like to call it the principle of biblical ratcheting. And it has two movements. There's a ratcheting in and a ratcheting out. Most of the time when we come across passages like this, we'll kind of ratchet in. It's our natural inclination and the first thing that we do it's like we hit 2X on our iPhones, and you engage the zoom lens, and it will, and just a single word, maybe a single image that just draws our attention will come to fill the entire screen. We ratchet in into all the gritty details. The 2X, for example, we're going to notice in this passage that Jesus uses what seems an unusual word to describe the Christian life and witness in the world. He calls the entire Christian project marturion, which is an old-fashioned Greek word that's translated into English, martyrdom. I mean, like he's telling us that uh, things could get dicey sometimes. At 2X, we notice our surge of, of betrayals in the passage for today. We're delivered or handed over, betrayed no four, fewer than four times in the first short paragraph. Uh, in verses 17, 19, and 21. Then we notice a whole long list of action verbs, most of them involving unpleasantness, all of them kind of PG-13. You can read them for yourselves. We do hear, as well, uh, it is true, words that seem intended to calm us, do not be anxious, do not fear. And there is this bit about uh, first-century sparrows and and, uh, the hairs of our head, Yet it's difficult somehow to see how it all hangs together when we're all zoomed in into one particular piece of it, all alarmed and filled up with the gritty details. It's hard to see how it kind of like hangs together. We lose the plot line when we're all ratcheted in. At 2x, we have for the most part texts without context. A string of images, sometimes an overwhelming detail without their frame of reference. And this is how we experience the passages of life as well. We zoom in almost irresistibly. And a particular passage or season of life, maybe a loss or a grief, maybe a hurt, maybe a slight, maybe a fear or a danger, come to fill the entire frame, and they become all that we see and come to feel insurmountable. Well, there's nothing wrong with ratcheting in. It's like our first, it's our first inclination, and Actually, we're very good at it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yet you can uh, choke on the details, too, if that's all you've got. And then you need to ratchet out. This is like hitting point six on your iPhone. This is at least what we call it in the Android world. I think you have buttons like that in iPhone, too. (laughs) You ratchet back a little to a wider angle. Dear old Martin Luther said one time, that we should read the Bible like we climb a tree. I'm wondering, how many of you know how to climb a tree? Would you raise your hand? That's what I thought. Yes, that's true. So if you have forgotten how to do that, ask your children. They'll help you remember. You start at a lower branch. This is maybe like an individual verse or maybe, maybe even an individual word. And then you grab hold. And then you climb up into a lower limb. Yes? This is maybe like a, maybe a whole paragraph or maybe like an entire chapter. And you take your seat. And then you start to shimmy. My grandkids are really good at shimmying. You start to shimmy all the way up the limb to the trunk, and then you lean into the trunk, you see? And the trunk is Jesus. Jesus stands right at the center of the tree and holds every limb and every branch together. Luther said that when you're climbing this tree, if you want to read the scripture to get correctly, you should see to it that you get all the way to Jesus every single time. And for that, we've got to, like, ratchet out. (laughs) You've got to hit point six. At point six, you notice that today's passage is part of a larger event. It's the commission and sending of the 12 disciples that began in verse one. We read it last week. Jesus has called the disciples together, acknowledged them by name, empowered them by grace, and sent them into the world. Our passage is somehow part of their orientation And then we'll notice that that commission to the disciples is a part of a larger commission. It's the mission of Jesus himself in the world. In chapter 9 last week, we saw that Jesus went all about about the cities and the villages, proclaiming the good news and so on. Chapter 10 is kind of a follow-up to Jesus' own mission. And then if you hit point 6 another time, you're going to see that even the mission of Jesus in the world is itself part of something still larger. His teachings and miracles, his death and resurrection, the sending of the spirits, the calling of disciples, their commission in the world, your commission in the world, and the promise of his coming again. The entire story hangs together in the mission of our triune God to redeem all things to himself. For God so loved the world, it says. You can see the wide-angle perspective kind of leaking through in some of the individual details of our text for today. Like verse 20, Jesus says, It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And a few verses later, in verse 40, he's going to say, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. At the widest angle, we're going to see that the entire Christian story at every turn along the way And every detail in your story, however burdensome or alarming it might feel, are held together in the loving heart of the Father God who redeems all things to himself. And then it begins to make sense somehow. Jesus says, don't fear. He says, don't fear, he says. Here is Jesus in our passage inviting us into his own life and mission in the world. Here is Jesus explaining that it's going to be complicated in unpredictable ways and maybe unpleasant sometimes, maybe very unpleasant sometimes. Here is Jesus acknowledging that sometimes we may wonder how, whatever we've gotten ourselves into and promising that even when things seem to go sideways as they will, there remains a gracious design and the design is the love of God. Standing at the center, indomitable, dependable, right at the center of the tree. This is what you get when you ratchet out. You see where you are in the larger frame of things. I love the Kenyan liturgy that we have been reading through these last Sundays of Lent and and, uh, Easter. Especially the the post-communion prayer where we have prayed every Sunday. The broken fragments of our history are gathered up in the redeeming act of Jesus. Do you remember that? What great language. The broken fragments of our history are gathered up in the the redeeming act of Jesus. We come to the table and our lives are made whole again. And then finally, you can ratchet in again. I used to work in a psychiatric hospital for a few years The place was filled with people that were kind of like stuck on permanent wide angle, who had kind of lost the ability somehow to ratchet in to life. It's not an ideal way to live. Wide angle doesn't make the details go away after all, but it somehow uh, makes them navigable once again. It is said uh, that one counts things that you really, really value. My granddaughter values aluminum can tops for some reason, and every now and then she pulls them out and puts them on a table and counts them. Heaven wants you to know that you are counted. (laughs) In fact, that every hair on your head has been numbered in heaven. It's a weird idea, but it's true. It is said that a heaven takes note of every uh, sparrow that falls to the ground and wants you to know that you're better than all the sparrows in the world. You're more loved than all the sparrows in the world. You crawl up the branch all the way to the trunk, and that's what you're going to find. And you can lean into it. The trunk will hold. That's why Jesus says, fear not. This trunk The Father's dependable love will hold you through every complicated deal of life. And it's not going to wear out. So, to return to my uh, original complaint, I've never liked passages like the one we had before us today. They remind me, frankly, of the, you know, like the passages of life that we hadn't chosen. And that just kind of spring out of the woods and grab us somehow. And I have found through all these years that they are difficult to bear if it weren't for the trunk at the center of the tree and the love of the Father to see you through. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.